In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. These past few Sundays, we've been hearing how our Lord is the Good Shepherd, and how He is the steward of the lost, and the steward of our heart. And today, we hear, or continue to hear, rather, how He is also the steward of the soul, and how we then are stewards under our Good Shepherd. Today's gospel does reveal him as a steward of the soul. Once again, Jesus does this by telling a story. There were a parable. There were two men. One, of course, had it all. He had ever, the other had nothing. One feasted sumptuously every day. The other could only hope for scraps and crumbs from the first. One wore clothes that were fit for a king. The other's skin was so covered in sores that dogs came and licked him. The two could not have been more different in this life, but Jesus brings them together to show life in his kingdom and how that works. Lazarus, of course, is poor and pitiable. He had nothing. He was hungry. He couldn't provide for himself. The best thing he could do was beg at the gate of a rich man. Hard to imagine more miserable of a life. Had to have been a little bit like hell on earth, perhaps. But Lazarus did have one thing going for him. He had the righteousness of faith. He was a child of Abraham in that truest sense, that he believed in God and it was accounted, reckoned to him as righteousness. Jesus tells us in the story that when the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, which is an Old Testament way of saying that Lazarus was in the resting place of God's promised people. He was there waiting the fulfillment of God's promised Savior and then the resurrection of the dead. So at long last, Lazarus, who found no comfort in this life, was comforted in eternal life. Now the rich man, however, experienced something far different. His earthly wealth afforded him everything he could possibly want. Gated home, wonderful food, precious clothes, no expense spared. He had it so good that when people thought where they should leave the poor and the weak to eke out their days of crumbs and picking up what they could from the scraps of the rich, they chose that guy's house. Hard to imagine a more comfortable life than what that rich man enjoyed. But he lacked something. One thing very important. He was a Jew, at least by heritage. Abraham called him child but only in an ethnic, familial sense, an outward sense. He did not have that righteousness of faith. He did not believe in God or his promises. The rich man died and was buried, and then is seen for a little bit in the, in the parable as being tormented in hell. Now Jesus could have just stopped the parable right there, ended the story, And that probably would have grabbed the Pharisees' attention just fine after all their mocking and ridiculing of Jesus. Remember that Luke points out a few times last week and again in chapter 16 that the Pharisees loved their earthly riches. And they loved ridiculing and mocking other people about that too. They also were not terribly fond of showing mercy to people like Lazarus. So part of the point is... Well, pretty clear. Jesus is the steward of the soul, and he judges the souls of these men righteously. That is, by faith, not by their works. It's also a stern warning against unbelief, and against withholding mercy 
And it's an encouragement then to faith in Christ, to charity and love for others. And Jesus could have stopped there, but he had more to say. The rich man lifted up his eyes and saw Lazarus with Abraham and cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus down to dip a finger of his in the water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in the flame. There's a little bit of a note there that we probably don't catch at first. You see, the rich man knew Lazarus' name in the story. But Luke never mentions, not even once, the name of this, well, unnamed rich man. It's a little bit of a not-so-subtle jab at those money-loving, prideful Pharisees. You see, because for all his wealth, for all his possessions and wonderful stuff, the rich man is forgotten. He is unnamed, nameless. Lazarus' name, on the other hand, is known by God because God knows him in faith and he has written his name in the Lamb's book of life. To Jesus' story goes on. Abraham replied to the rich man. He said, well, beside this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. In other words, request denied. It was both impassable and impossible. Everyone was in their proper place in death. And Abraham goes on and says, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus likewise in bad things. And now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. But the rich man was not accustomed to rejection. So he pressed on his request further. I beg you, Father, send them to my father's house. I have five brothers. Somebody needs to warn them that they won't come to this place of torment too. This time Abraham simply dismisses the question by replying, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Let them hear, in other words, God's words. No, Father Abraham, he pushed, the, he pushed further. If someone would rise from the dead and journey to them, well, then they would surely believe and repent. But Abraham responds, If they do not hear Moses or the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The rich man, you see, was used to having his way, having things done the way he wanted them to be done. And he thought the kingdom of God, well, God ought to work the same way that everybody else does for me on my terms. But not so, says Jesus. If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone rises from the dead. And that really there is the heart of Jesus' parable, the heart of his message to the Pharisees, but also to us too. The Pharisees had God's word. We have God's word. Believe it or don't believe it. But there isn't another word or another way or another voice. It is Jesus' word. Now the point of all this, of course, is not to say that, well, obviously, what we should do now in life is to have nothing and give up everything, right? But in the kingdom of God, remember, wealth or poverty isn't the deciding factor isn't really the key at all. Jesus' warning is against ignoring his word, or against dismissing and disbelieving his word, whether we are rich or poor. And though these two men could not have been more different, they could not have been more opposite, 
They were both Jews. They were both children of the promise. Both received the same richness of God in Moses and the prophets. Both heard the promises, but only one treasured them. Only one believed. Only one repented. Only one had faith. You see, everything we have is a gift from God, our Good Shepherd. Jesus is that steward of our souls. And so when we consider all that we have, and everything that we do with what our Lord entrusts us with, there really is nothing more important. Though there are many important things, but there is nothing more important than the stewardship of God's Word here in, in His house, among us, His people, in His church. Whatever else happens in our lives, nothing is more important than that, than hearing His Word, than coming here and receiving His gifts of His Word, the water of baptism, his body and blood that he gives us in, with and under that bread and wine, all by that promise of his word. And so our high calling of the Christian life is to treasure that word and for the sake of salvation and to then work to assure its proclamation. It's why God gives us the time and skills and earthly treasures that we have. It's why he calls us to be stewards of these things because all of it exists. We exist to receive God's gracious promises, to receive His good gifts of life and salvation, and then proclaim those gifts and share those with others. See, it is all in Jesus' Word. And the wonderful thing about Jesus and His Word is that He Himself is the Word made flesh. The very Word of God become man for us. It was His ministry to rescue us and all mankind from sin, from death, and the devil. His work to rise for you after he was crucified for you. His desire and love and passion to rescue us who are lost. To rescue our hearts. To rescue our soul and body and all things. All of this he did for you on the cross. He does everything to rescue and deliver you. And to save and redeem you. So that we don't end up like the rich man. But rather like Lazarus be brought to him and into his arms, not only now and today, but forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.